Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So I thank God for that freedom tonight, the freedom to gather in his name without any persecution. That's something we should never take for granted because you never know how quickly that could be taken away from us tonight, church. So it behooves us to make the most of our opportunity whenever we have that freedom. Amen. Tonight, the title of my message is the love of God. Uh, But how many of you know the love of God is so vast it's so rich, it's so full, it's so powerful that I could never uh, get it all into one sermon. Amen? Uh, God takes our entire life uh, to try to reveal His love to us individually. And so I know that I could never communicate its fullness and its richness in a single message. So I'm not even going to try to tell you all about the love of God, but I want to talk to you about the love of God tonight. I may continue, depending on how the Holy Spirit leads and depending on what I'm able to communicate tonight, I might take another week or two to to talk even more about the love of God because it's that rich, it's that full, and it's that worthy of us to spend some time on if we need to. Amen. But before we go there, I want to first go to the Lord in prayer one more time, and then we're going to kind of dovetail off of where I left off next week. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we thank you for that freedom this evening, Father God. I'm thankful that we can come into your house free from guilt, free from shame, free from fear, free from anxiety, that we can just sit at your feet this evening, Lord God, and bask in your presence. I thank you that we didn't gather alone tonight, but that we are in your house and you are in our in this house as well. Uh, So, Father God, I pray for your anointing to be upon us all this evening. Father, that you would wrap your arms around us, around our heart, around our minds, around our lives, our situations and circumstances, oh God, that we would just experience your peace tonight, that there would be no distractions, no disruptions, Lord, that there would be no spirit that would come in and try to distract us from your word. I pray for your anointing upon me and a blessing upon your people as well, God, that we might be doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Like I said, before I get to the actual portion of my scripture that uh, is built around the title of my message, I want to continue my teaching on godliness. I kind of have been looking at this old man, new man. I kind of been toying around with their teaching around this godliness theme. We've looked at the three essentials, or at least I've made you aware of the three essentials that must be a part of our lives in order for us to be the kind of people that Peter encouraged us to be, you know, as we wait for the the return of the Lord, and that's godly people. But in order for that to happen, in order for us to be a reflection of God's nature and a reflection of God's character, as we've learned, three things, I believe, must be established in our lives. They can't be temporary They can't be transient. They can't move in and out of our lives, but they must be established in our lives. Three things that I believe must be a permanent fixture in our lives if we truly desire to be godly people. That is the fear of God. It is the love of God. And it is a desire for God, which is actually built on the first two. And that will be the next stage of the lesson that I get into is actually the desire for God. But as we learned last week, the love, the fear of God and the love of God build a foundation upon which a desire for God is established. Last week, we looked at the fear of God. We understand that that the fear of God that I was mainly referring to was a reverent awe of the creator. It is an understanding that he is the potter and we are the clay. 
that he is the creator and we are the creation. It's an understanding that there is an authority in our lives that has the power to judge sin and actually uh, sentence sin as well. Uh, the, the, a reverent awe of God that we talked about is an understanding that the entire universe was brought about by the power of God's will and the power of God's word. And the reality is that we are but dust that was given life by the breath of this almighty God that we should have a better understanding of. The reality is in order for us to fear the Lord properly. For us to properly understand the love of God and have a proper love for God in order to serve or to have a proper desire for God established in our lives. There are three other elements that are needed. And I want to look at those. And if if you want those specifically, there's a handout I gave because I am really going to try to teach you a few things. But I want to get through this quickly this evening. The three things we must have. In order for us to have the proper fear of God, love of love for God, and uh, and to serve the Lord, and the first thing is we must have the correct concept of God. We looked at that a little bit when I told you we've got to have this correct understanding and concept that God is the potter and we're the clay, and not vice versa. The reality is we must have a true understanding of his divine nature, a true understanding of his divine character. We must have a true understanding of who God is and who we are if we are to fear him properly, love him properly, and serve him properly. The reality is if you have a distorted concept of God... You won't love him properly, can't love him properly, can't serve him properly. If, if, if your concept of God is some mean ogre in the sky, that every time you do some little wrong thing, that he's going to zap you with a lightning bolt and make a shish kebab out of you, your, your life, that's a wrong concept of God. So your love for God will be distorted. And, and the way you please God will become distorted. You understand what I'm saying? If your concept of God is a little bit like we talked about last week, if you think God is nothing more than a sugar daddy in the sky, or a cracker jack box like I talked about, or a convenience store that you can run into when you want and get what you want when you want it, your love for God will be distorted the same. So we truly, 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 church, have to have the right concept of God. If we're to veer him properly, love him properly, and serve him properly. The second thing that we must have established in our life is a constant sense of the presence of God in our life. You see, the reality is if you, if you or I don't have this constant sense of the presence of Jehovah God in our lives, you'll, you'll care less what you do, care less what you say, care less where you go, care less how you live, care less how you act. But if you have this constant sense... Of the presence of Jehovah God in your life, you will be careful where you go. You will be careful what you say. You will be careful how you dress. You will be careful what you do. You will be careful who you hang around with and how you do business. When you have this constant sense of the presence of Jehovah God in your life. Without that, you will not have the proper fear of God in your life. You need to understand that, church. I, I believe that some of us, and I've talked about it over the last couple of weeks, I believe that some of us have forgotten that God is omnipotent. I think we have forgotten that God is omniscient. I think we have forgotten that God is omnipresent, that wherever I go, God is. 
That whatever I say, God hears. That whatever I do, God sees. You understand what I'm saying? We've lost this. We've lost this. There's been this big disconnect as to who God is in our lives. And God, God has become small in our own estimation. Listen, if God is nothing more to you than a convenience store clerk or a sugar daddy in the sky, you're missing out on the fullness of God. You have to understand that. That's the second thing we must have in our lives. If we're to love God properly, like I want to talk to you about tonight, we must have these two things in our life if we're to have the proper fear of God. But finally, we must have a constant awareness of our obligation towards God. We must have this constant awareness that I am not my own. That I don't belong to me, myself, and I. That I am the property of Jehovah God. You and I have to have this constant awareness and this constant understanding that it is no longer I that live, but Christ that is to live within me, and that I have been bought. You see, we have to have this constant awareness and understanding that at some place in our life, God walked into the courtyard, uh, the, uh, uh, the courtyard, where you and I were slaves to sin and he bought us from Satan with the blood of Jesus Christ. This must be a constant awareness in our lives that I do not belong to myself, that I have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And with that understanding, I know that I am now to glorify God in my life. That everything I do in word and in deed, I am to do to glorify the Father. If we do not have those three elements in our life, a correct concept of God, a constant sense of the presence of God, a constant awareness of our obligation towards God, I want you to understand you can never be godly. I can never be godly if I don't have these three things in my life. My fear of God, my understanding of the love of God, and my desire to serve God are built on those three things. So there's really six things that are required for me to be godly. The fear of God, the love of God, and a desire for God. And these must be established in order to have those. I'm teaching you this so that you can understand better how we are to be Godly people, church. The truth is, without these three ingredients, it's impossible to, uh, for, for godliness to be a part of our life. But listen, when you get the right concept of God, when you gain a true understanding of the divine nature of God and the divine character of God, when you're aware of His awesomeness and His glory and His holiness and His righteousness, and you mix that... You mix that concept and understanding of this awesome God always being in my presence, always watching my words, always taking a step with me, always being present in my life. And then mix that also with a constant understanding that I'm to glorify him in my life. When you combine all of those three ingredients together, church, I want you to know you will be godly. Your character will change. Your conduct will change. Everything about our life will change when we put those pieces together in our life. You see, we will become individuals who have the power to have influence over a dark and dying world. And it's exactly who we are supposed to be. But we can't be that if we're not godly. We can't be that if we're not this that I've just taught you, church. Remember, Peter asked the question... 
Between now and the time the Lord returns, what kind of people should we be? And he said we should be godly. And this is how we become godly. You see, we should be making a difference in this world. We should be. We should be reflecting the character and the nature of God to a lost and dying world so they too can gain the same understanding that we have. So they too can gain a fear of God and a love of God and a desire for God in their life. But as we learned last week, the fear of God is only part of the foundation that we are to to lay in our lives. Another of these elements, like I just said, required for us to be godly is the, the love of God. But the reality is truly only God-fearing people can appreciate the love of God. And I want to teach you what I mean by that, church. Only those who understand the great chasm that exists between God and man can appreciate the height and the depth and the love and the width and the breadth of God's love towards them, church. Only those who understand the infinite gulf. That, that exists between Jehovah God, a holy God, a righteous God, an omnipotent, omniscient, and all-powerful God. Uh, only those who understand the gap that stands between God and sinful man can appreciate the love that brings us together. You need to understand that on one end of eternity, or on one end of the universe, you might say, on, on one end of, of, of the universe, you have God. On one end of the universe, you have a holy, righteous, just, powerful, mighty God. And on the other end of the universe, you have sinful, wicked, unrighteous, unholy us. And unless we understand the distance and the difference between those two, we will never comprehend the love of God that brings those two together which is Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? In this hand we have Almighty God that I've talked about. And in this hand we have sinful man. And if we, can't, if we don't understand the awesomeness of the love that brought these two things together, we will never love God in return. Unless you understand the height, the depth, the breadth, and the width of the love of God that brought sinful man back into communion with a holy God, we cannot love God. Okay, you might, you might try to work your way into God's presence. You understand what I'm saying? You might try to do this and stop doing this and I'll do this and I'll do that. Trying to, to, to demonstrate some form of affection towards God. But that's all you'll ever be doing. You'll be working, 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 working. But until you understand this, this, this huge chasm that stands between God and man... And the love of God that brings the two together, we can't love God. That's what I want you to understand. The truth is, listen, God demonstrated His love towards us and that while we were still sinners, He died for us. He put His love into action. He demonstrated His love towards us, Romans 5, 8 says, that while we were still sinners, and I want to focus on that for just a minute, while we were still sinners, while we were on the other end of the spectrum, church, when we were as far away from God as we could possibly be, when we were still living for ourselves, church, when we were still lying and cheating and stealing and fornicating and getting drunk and and, and committing adultery, when we were 
were still uh, doing all of those things that, that would grieve the heart of God and, and hurt the heart of God while we were still enemies of the cross, while we were still partying and carousing and, 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 and staying out to the wee hours of the night entertaining the flesh, while we were still mocking God and laughing at the church and making fun of the Christian and the Bible-believing saint, while we were doing all of those things, church, and, and rebelling against God, while we were still in darkness, God demonstrated His love towards us and died for us. And if we don't have a constant, if we are not constantly reminded of that fact, we can't love God the way we should love God. If we are not constantly reminded of the fact that we are nothing more than a sinner saved by grace, we cannot love God like we're supposed to love God. We cannot lose sight of that, church. For God so loved the world, John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave us His only begotten Son. And I'll end right there, because I, what I want you to teach from this, I want to give you the Greek word for world that, 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 that was used in Scripture, which is cosmos. And it is defined in the Greek as this, the ungodly multitude. The whole mass of man that was alienated from God and therefore they were hostile to the cause of Jesus Christ. This is the world that God loved. This is the world that God died for. This is the man and the woman that the Bible says God loved. This is the man and the woman, the child or the adult, that Christ died for. Please understand what the passage is saying. It doesn't say that God so loved the church that He gave His only begotten Son. It doesn't say that God so loved the prophet and the priest that He gave His only begotten Son. It doesn't say that God so loved the church worker that He gave His only begotten Son or the elder or the deacon or the musician. It doesn't say God so loved the saint that that He gave His only begotten Son or God so loved uh, the, the, the one that carries the big Bible. Or You understand what I'm saying? It says God so loved the ungodly multitude. God so loved that mass of men that were ungodly and hostile towards God that He died for them. And what you and I need to remember is we were once part of that hostile crowd. We need to remember that we were once part of that multitude that didn't love God. When we were still sinners, the Bible says God died for us. And until we can grasp and fathom the depths of that kind of love, church, we can't love God in return. Until we understand what His love cost Him, we cannot love Him in return, church. The reality is... There's no greater love than this, the Bible says, than a man should lay down his life for a friend. And it's exactly what God did for us. He laid down his life for you and me. He laid down his life. No one took it. He even said, no one takes my life from me. I freely lay it down. And there's no greater love that could be demonstrated to us than what was demonstrated on Calvary's cross on Golgotha's hill 2,000 years ago. No greater love. That can be demonstrated towards us. And please understand, it's one of the main reasons I did that nine week or so series on the cross of Jesus Christ. Because unless we understand the awesomeness of the cross, unless we understand the love that was lavished upon us on Calvary's cross, we can't love God. 
We can't be intimate with God. We can't come before God with a broken and a contrite heart until we understand the love that He lavished upon you and me. I hope you understand when the Word of God tells us He lavished His love upon us. He he, he wasn't cheap with His love. You understand what I'm saying? He didn't reach into His pocket and pull out a penny and say, This is all they're worth. I want you to understand He poured out profusely upon the sinner His love. He poured out profusely on you, Willie, and me, and all the rest of us. He poured out profusely. Without any limitation, without any holding back, He poured out His love like a drink offering. So you and I could taste and see that God was really good. And listen to me, when you begin to taste that love, when you begin to feel that love, when you begin to sense that love, when you begin to bask yourself in that love, when you begin to feel the arms of that love reach around you and reach down into your life, you can't help but love God back. Amen. You can't help. Listen. If you got trouble loving God, you don't know God's love. If you got trouble praising God, you don't know God's love. If you got trouble dancing for God, you don't know God's love. If you got trouble living for God and serving God, you don't know God's love. You don't, because if you do, listen, when the love of God touches sinful man, something happens in our life. We're never the same. If you truly want to love God like you've never loved before, your first prayer should be, God, show me your love. Teach me your love. Give me an understanding of your love. You see, we can't earn His love. It was provided through the cross of Jesus Christ. We need to understand the love of God, church. Sometimes I think we forget That we were the face in that crowd. 2,000 years ago when Jesus hung on that cross and He looked out upon the multitudes. Your face was in that crowd. My face was in that crowd. My name was on the, the list of that multitude that stood there and stared at Jesus as He died on Calvary's cross. We were all part of those people, church. And I think we try to detach ourselves from that crowd sometimes. Well, I speak in tongues, and I'm on this board, and I'm an elder, and I'm a preacher, and I'm a prophet, and I'm an apostle, and I do all of this. And we detach ourselves from from the crowd, church. But I want you to clearly understand, I don't care if I stand behind a pulpit. I don't care if you're a preacher at a church. I don't care if your name is on a roll. I don't care if you sing in the choir or play in the orchestra. I don't care if you've been in the church for 25 years. You better never forget that you are a sinner saved by grace and by the love of God. When you forget that, when you forget that, God can't use you and won't use you. Because it's not about you and it's not about me. It's all about Jesus Christ. The demonstration of His love towards us. It's what we have to understand, church. Amen. John said, God is love. 
And this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His only Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. For our sins. For our sins. Not for my sin. Not for her sin. Not for his sin. For all of our sins, church. Understand the truly godly person never forgets that he was at one time an object of God's holy wrath. A truly godly person never forgets that he was the ungodly face in the crowd. A truly godly person never forgets that they at one point in their life were destined for destruction. But understand that somewhere, some place, at some time, the love of God reached down into their life. Some place, at some time, maybe when they even least expected it, the love of God was poured out into their life and they have never been the same since. And I know a lot of you in the house tonight can testify to that. I know I can too, church. In Isaiah 6.1, Isaiah said, in the, key, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. He was seated on the throne and he was high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And the Bible tells us that when Isaiah, who in man's estimation was a holy man and a righteous man and a so-called godly man, when he saw the vast chasm that stood between him and a holy righteous God, the Bible says he became undone. The Bible said the only thing that could come out of his mouth was, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among an unclean people. You see, when you get a glimpse of God, you get a better understanding of how far away from God you really are. And when you understand how far away from God you really are, and realize that He sent His Son... To die for you anyway, you get a better understanding of the love of God. You see, Isaiah saw God in his rightful place. You understand? If you think God is, is nothing more than a crackerjack box, you don't see God in his rightful place. So God will not be God for you. If you see God nothing more as a convenience store clerk, please understand, you don't see God in His rightful place. And you will never have a relationship with the real God. But I want you to understand, Isaiah saw Him seated on a throne exactly where He belongs. Isaiah saw Him seated in a place of authority where He belongs in our life. He's the one that tells us to get up. He's the one that tells us to breathe. He's the one that tells us to blink. He's the one that tells my heart to beat and my feet to move. He's the one that causes my lungs to fill up and empty out. He's the one in authority over every, every single action of my life. That's where Isaiah saw him in a place of authority. He saw him high and lifted up where God belongs, high and lifted up. If God's not high and lifted up in your life, I want you to understand you're worshiping the wrong God. You're serving the wrong God. You're giving to the wrong God. You're crying out and praying to the wrong God. If you want to experience God and have Him move in your life, you need to learn to see Him high and lifted up. 
above your trouble, above your sickness, above your pain, above your circumstance, above your sorrow, above your giant, above your mountain. And when you see Him high and lifted up, guess what? He'll draw you up to Him. That's how you're seated in heavenly places. Listen, if he's nothing more, like I said, and I don't want to overuse this, but if he's nothing more than a Cracker Jack box, the only place you'll be seated is with a bunch of corn kernels. You understand what I'm saying, church? You won't be seated in no heavenly place. Amen. truth is, church, a truly godly person never forgets that Jesus Christ came into the world for one reason, and that was to save the sinner. And the godly person, the truly godly person, feels along with Paul like they are the worst of sinners, not the best of all men, not the high and mighty. Not the holy Sadducee and Pharisee. The truly godly person has a humble heart and understands that if it weren't for the grace of God, there go I. If it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ, I would be lost. They understand, the truly godly person understands I'm nothing more than a sinner saved by grace. Paul said, I am the worst of all sinners. And he said it when he was a saint. That's the godly person. I'm not saying you walk around all day just confessing yourself to be stuck in sin and a slave to sin. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that Paul never lost, he never lost sight of the great chasm between him and God. That every time he saw God in his fullness and holiness, he was nothing more than the worst of all sinners. He had the right concept of God. He had, he had a constant awareness of the presence of God. And he had, he had a constant awareness of his obligation towards God as well. It's why Paul was godly. It's why he was the greatest author in all the New Testament church. If we want to be godly like Paul... We need to have the same attitude, character, and heart of Paul as well. The truth is, without a clear view and understanding of Calvary, we cannot be godly, church. Unless you understand the depths of God, depth of God's love that took you out of darkness and brought you into His glorious light. Unless you understand the love of God that took you at some point in your life out of the miry clay. And stuck you on a rock eternal, a rock that can't be moved. Until, Unless you understand the love of God like I preached, it was lavished upon you while you were part of a sinful multitude. We cannot love Him, church. We cannot love Him unless we understand His love towards us. Understand the love of God has no meaning apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. The love of God is empty, it's powerless, it's useless... Without the cross of Jesus Christ. Please understand, the cross was the demonstration of His love. The cross was the substance. It was the makeup. It was the life. It was the power. It was the blood of His love. 
He shed his blood on Calvary's cross. And without the cross, there is no love. His love would be powerless. So here's what I want you to understand. In order to understand the love of God and the depth of his love, you have to understand what took place on the cross. And if you don't, still don't understand what took place on the cross, please go back and get my cross series and the divine exchange and all of those things when we talked about the cross. Because when you understand what happened on the cross, that he took my place and exchanged life for death, blessings for curses, healing for sickness, all of those riches for poverty. When you understand all of that, you understand the multifacetedness of his love. The depth, the height, the width, and the breadth of His love. It's immeasurable. But unless we understand His work on the cross, we can't understand His love. First John 4.19 says, We love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. We love Him because 2,000 years ago, He demonstrated and put His love into action on Calvary's cross and died for a sinful multitude. That's why we love Him, church. Because he first loved us while we were still sinners. And the more we grasp that, the more we understand that, the more, more enlightened we become to that truth, church, the easier it is and the truer and the, and the richer our love for God becomes as well. It won't be a drudgery. It won't be a task. It won't be, it won't be a difficult thing to do. When you understand the depths of God's love, our love, we love Him because He first loved us. It's an automatic response to the love of God. Please remember, Jesus didn't offer up lip service. Like we so often do. He didn't offer up lip service. So often we do that. We tell God how much we love Him. We sing about how much we love Him. We read about how much we should love Him. But a lot of it, church, a lot of times is nothing more than lip service. I want you to understand God demonstrated His love towards us. And while we were part of an ungodly multitude, He died for us. Behold, what measure of great love the Lord has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. Behold. You see, even there, John's trying to teach us the awesomeness of God's love. Behold, what manner of great love the Lord lavished upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Please grasp this. When we should have been called things we can't even say, when we should have been called things that are bleepity bleep, when God had every single right to put a nasty name on us, He called us sons and daughters instead. What an awesome love that He lavished upon us. That we should be called the sons of God. Listen, you know better than I do at a point in your life. I know better than you do. Some of the things I should have been called in my life. You know better than anyone else some of the things God had a right to call you at points in your life. But He didn't. You know what He called you? He called you son. And He called you daughter through the work of Jesus Christ. And the more we begin to understand the height, width, breadth, the depth of God's love the more we love Him in return. The more we will hunger for His Word. The more we'll long for His presence. The easier it will be to lift up a hand and worship Him in good times and in bad, church. 
David said, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. Why do you think David longed for God so much? Because he understood the love of God towards him. He understood who God was and who he was. And that, and that as, as big as a chasm David could see, he always saw the hand of God and the love of God reaching down into his life. He always saw that. And that's why he said, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. He loved God because he understood the love God had towards him. And you and I need to experience that same thing, church, if we want to truly have uh, a, a full love for God in our lives. You want to know why so many people struggle with this thing called godliness? Because, like I said, they don't understand the depths of God's love. But the truth is... The more we see God in his infinite majesty, the more we see God in his holiness and his holy array, the more we see God in his righteousness and his awesomeness and in his power, the more we see him like Isaiah saw him, I want you to understand, the more we will be amazed at the love that he demonstrates towards us. And when we are, and that turns into a desire, which is the third the third thing that I want to talk to you about in the coming weeks, where the desire for God is built in our lives. Through all this teaching, I've got a few minutes, but as I begin to wind this down, through all of this teaching, we have to remember that Enoch walked with God. Well, what does that have to do with all of this? We have to remember that Enoch had a personal, intimate relationship with God, and so must we if we desire to be godly. You see, my point is... It's not enough to believe that God so loved the world that he died. It's not enough to believe that God so loved the ungodly multitude. It's not enough to believe that God so loved immoral man that he died. We must believe that God so loved me that he died. We must believe that God so loved me, an unrighteous individual, that he died. You see, we need to understand that God's love is personal. As, as much as it is wide. We need to know that it is personal as much as it is high. We need to know that it is individual as broad as it might be. We need to realize that even though the Word of God says God so loved the world, we need to understand that God didn't just die for the world. He died for me. He died for my sin. He died for my iniquity. He died for my transgression. My punishment was placed on his shoulders so that I could have peace. He bore my stripes so that I could be healed. You understand what I'm saying? We need to begin to narrow it as wide as God's love is. We need to learn how to narrow it and focus it in towards us. God so loved me that he died for me. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son to die on Calvary's cross for you and your sins and your transgressions. You know, so easy. We can so easily get lost in the crowd. You understand what I'm saying? We can so easily get lost in the crowd that the whole personal aspect, the personal relationship thing with God gets lost. A lot of people come into church that way. A lot of people like big churches so they can get lost in the crowd. So that, they, so that they're not personally confronted. So they don't have to get up close and personal with people. So they, they maybe not have to be as in, accountable. They can float in and they can float out. And they can skip church here and skip church there and nobody notices. You understand what I'm saying? That's why a lot of people like big churches. Because they get lost in the crowd. And unfortunately, spiritually, we tend to do the same thing. We get lost in this crowd of God so loved the world... And God's love is so broad 
that we fail to make it personal in our own lives. And when we do that, accountability goes out the window. When it's not personal to us, get it, guess what it turns into? Boy, I, I hope they heard that. I don't watch what I say. You understand what I'm saying? So often we can come into the house of God, and it's always about someone else who's living in sin. While we're gossiping on the phone. It's all about someone else sleeping around while just yesterday we threw someone under the bus. It's all about this person that was caught in adultery while I'm cheating at work. You understand what I'm saying? So often we make it so broad that there's no personal accountability to a God that died for me. For my sin and my iniquity. And when we understand that, church, please grasp this. The more I understand the personal nature of God's love, the stronger and greater it drives me to my knees so that I become the man or the woman God wants me to be. It's about me. The cross is about me. It's about Jeff Merriman. It's about me. It's not about anybody else. Of course it is, but you understand what I'm saying. We, it needs to be personal in our lives, church. You see, listen, there was a period of time in my life, and I bet you would say the same thing, where God's love was aimed only at the world. The personal. There was a, a time in my life where the love of God... It was real to me. I believed the love of God. I believed everything the pastor preached. Oh, yeah, he, I believed Jesus went to the cross and he died. I, I believed all that. I went to church. I grew up in church. My dad was an elder in the church and a pastor in two churches. I grew up in the church. But I'm telling you that there was a time in my life where the love of God was not personal to me. It wasn't the foundation of my faith. It wasn't what caused me to sing. It wasn't what caused me to give. It wasn't what caused me to go to church. I went to church because you're supposed to go to church because I had to go to church. Because my friends went to church. But I want you to understand there was a period in my life, even though I went to church and did all the churchy things, that the love of God wasn't personal to me. I didn't have an intimate, an intimacy with the love of God in my life. But there came a moment in my life. And I'm telling you, the church, we all need this moment. Isaiah knew his moment. It was in the year King Uzziah died. He knew where he was. He knew what day it was. He knew if the sun was shining or if the, or if the moon was bright. But I guarantee you, on that day that, King Uzziah, that, that, that Isaiah saw the Lord, he knew exactly. Uh, he marked it on his calendar. And I want you to know... I want you to know that, that, that all of us should have a moment like that in our own lives. Sunday night, October 18th, 1981. I was sitting right here. I could even tell you we had a youth choir that was exactly this big. I was sitting right here singing to a God I sang to for years. Singing from an empty heart. When all of a sudden, in the middle of that service, the love of God like never before opened up into my life and you couldn't shut me up. You couldn't keep me from screaming and dancing. Ask my wife, Woo! 
sudden just come up out of my heart because the love of God became real in my life. I felt it. I saw it. I embraced it. I understood it. It was preached to me for years, talked to me at home for years, but it was never personal until that moment in that place. The love of God poured out in my life, and I'm standing here tonight because of that moment that the love of God grabbed my heart. And I pray that you are all the same way, church. We need a moment like that when we see the love of God. You see, the reality is, uh, because of that experience, I understood exactly what Isaiah felt I saw God. I'm not saying I I saw this big. I just saw God in my spirit. And all I could do for the next two weeks, every time, I'd lie at bed at night. And the only thing that I could do was weep tears. Tears just running down my face. Tears soaking my pillow. Because the love of God reached down from heaven. The holy love of God from a just and righteous God that could have called me a thousand different things said, Jeff, you are now my son. And I love you. And I couldn't help but saying back, God, I love you too. I love him today, church, because he first loved me. Me. Jeff Merriman from Richboro, Pennsylvania. That's who he loved. And listen to me, church. He loves you exactly the same. How many of you are thankful for the love of God? I want you to stand to your feet. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet and I want you to just applaud God for his love. We love you, Father. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. We love you, God. We love you. Why? Because He first loved us. And He demonstrated His love towards us, church. Amen? Amen. Please, let us never forget. If we want to be godly people, we must be like Paul. Two passages I want to read. Romans 5.38, Paul said, I am convinced that nothing can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus the Lord. Nothing. I'm convinced, Paul said. I've got no doubt in my mind that the love of God is so strong that nothing can separate me from the love of God. Understand what Paul... I'm convinced, Paul said. He said, I don't care what story you tell me. I don't care what opinion you might have. I don't care what conversation you try to have with me. There's nothing you can say, nothing you can do to sway me from my firm belief that nothing can separate me from the love of God. And it was his understanding of that love that caused him to serve God or glorify God in all that he did in word and in deed. You see, here's what I want to close with. Please understand Paul so understood the love of God in his life that he did not use that love as a ticket to sin. Paul said, should I continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. Paul, Paul was so enamored by the love of God that he, that he just desired to love God even more. You see, the reality is, the truth is, the more we understand the love of God the more godly we become. 
the less sin we commit, the less struggles that we have, the less we fall, the more we understand the love of God. All of a sudden, something happens in our heart, and all we have is a desire to please God, to have the character of God and the nature of God manifested in our life. And if that's your desire tonight, you say, God, I just I want my nature and my character to be a reflection of you, a a reflection of the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. If that's your prayer tonight, all we have to do is gain a greater understanding of the love of God in our life. Amen. So if that's your prayer tonight, just agree with me as we pray that there's no greater desire I have, God, to experience your love so I can love you. Father God. I thank you, Father. It's a real simple prayer. I thank you that I love you because you first loved me. God, that somewhere in my life, I know the moment, I know the day, I know where I was, God, as do so many in your house tonight. But I thank you, Father God, for that love that you demonstrated towards me. And while I was still a sinner, while I was part of that multitude of the ungodly, While I was part of that mass of men that just, we knew of you, but I didn't have a personal relationship with you. And I'm thankful, Father God, in the midst of all of everything that each and every one of us have been through in our lives, the sins we have committed, the failings and the fallings, the unrighteousness that's been part of our life, Father God, for as many times that we've done what's right in our own eyes and walked in our own ways, you loved us, Father. And you demonstrated that love in the form of your son, Jesus Christ. So it's my prayer, Father God, that like never before, your people would begin to experience the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of your awesome love. Because as we begin to understand your love, as we begin to understand the great chasm that your love reached across in order to bring us into relationship with you, the more we understand that, God the more we love you. We sang earlier, the more I seek you, the more I find you. The more I find you, the more I love you. So God, that is my prayer tonight, that we would, we would continue to seek more and more of your love. And the more we experience your love, the more we will love you in return. And that way we can be the godly people you have called us to be. So that between now and the time that you come, we can truly be a reflection of your character to a world that is lost and dying, and so that we can bring them into a relationship with your love as well. We give you the praise and the glory, and all of God's people said, Amen. Can we bless the Lord for His Word, church? Amen. Amen. Let me read one, one, one passage before I let you go. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this, For Christ's love compels us. It drives us. It moves us. It pushes us. Because we are convinced, now Paul is writing this, because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, when you and I begin to understand the true depth of God's love, this is exactly what happens. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live for the one who died for us. When you truly understand the love that was lavished upon us, you forget about me, myself, and I. And all you focus on is the one that died for us and the one that raised again. Keep that in mind as you go, church. 
Build yourself in the love of God and in the love of Christ. Amen. And love Him in return. If you have a special need, need to tarry, I'd be happy to pray with you. Otherwise, be